If the government learned anything from the pandemic, it's that an outbreak from nature has much in common with a biological attack. At least in terms of preparedness and response, I asked about it when I spoke with David Lassiter, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction, starting with, has the thinking changed? The quick response is, is a yes. You know, I mean, throughout this recent pandemic, um, through the, the planning and discussion about how to respond, you know, part of the the discussions I had with other senior leaders inside DOD, but across interagency, is uh, is this frankly a bifurcation of uh, public health, you know, a, a traditional pandemic, and uh, you know, and 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 the public health response, bifurcating that from a biological threat, you know, even if it's a, a naturally occurring, but probably more precisely those you know that that may arise from a from a lab leak or those that are even a man made. Um, or a deliberate release. So, you know, there's been a lot of discussion, um, and I think you'll see, um, you know, probably uh, some uh, some meat or some information from those discussions over the course of the next number of uh, of months of ensuring that we're really overlaying these two these two concerns, and and that to be prepared for a public health emergency um, such as you know a natural pandemic. We, too, have to be prepared for uh, biological weapons because taking consideration of COVID-19, whether it's uh, there's some debate, uh, as, as you well know, in, um, in discourse uh, throughout the, the country from from the intelligence community to uh, around the world about origins. And so it is it's important to understand that regardless of origin, uh, we have to be prepared. And in my previous role at uh, Department of Defense, you know, my focus was on the warfighter, you know, ensuring that the, the warfighter was protected um, and working with uh, the Chem Defense Office and Defense Threat Reduction Agency to ensure that those mitigation measures and the protective measures were in place. So, so sure, it's a long way, pardon me, Tom, saying yes. I mean, there's a, there's a need to ensure that, uh, that we're, we're overlaying these two concepts. Because in reality, as we saw from the incident on the aircraft carrier, the Theodore Roosevelt, that that was kind of the manifestation of how national security can, in fact, be affected by some kind of bio event, whether intentional or non-intentional, whether by an enemy or by natural causes, because a major asset of the Navy and, you know, of the 11 carriers we've got, only five or six are ever operational at a given time as it is, to take one out in that manner could constitute a national security threat. You're exactly right. And, you know, it, it wasn't just the operational impact. I mean, you know, Look, could the could the U.S. military respond to a contingency or or a threat to the homeland or allies or partners? Absolutely, and could have done it and did do it in certain instances you know, over the course of these last nineteen months. But it is absolutely uh, certain that that the pandemic impacted operations, it impacted exercises, it impacted throughput, all the way down to recruit training. And and with that, you know, impacting that throughput, there's obviously a cost impact, and so. You know, from the active component down to the reserve and guard components, there was, there was most certainly impact. And and imagine a, a bioweapons impact. I think it would be much worse just on the psyche, but conceivably, you know, on the virulence of, of whatever that biological weapon might be. And now you're advising companies on developing defenses and biosecurity measures. From the standpoint of DOD, did the pandemic kind of cement or strengthen the need for great relationships with industry to help respond when something uh, outbreaks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you saw from, and all of us have seen from the results of Operation Warp Speed and the incredible interaction, um, coordination, all hours of the day, every day uh, for uh, for many months. 
the relationships between Department of Defense and HHS and, and obviously the White House and uh, national security uh, professionals across the U.S. government, you know, with those um, incredible biopharmaceutical companies and the broad biotech industry uh, want to develop medical countermeasures, in this case, probably most clear to everyone being the vaccine, but also, you know, therapeutics and and also improvements in mitigation techniques, whether it's uh, testing that we've seen over the last you know, year plus has greatly improved. Now, that capability must remain. You know, we must be able to tap into that in, in real time going forward. Um, so there so there are things that the government and specifically the Department of Defense you know, must continue to invest in in the private sector, you know, commercial off-the-shelf items. I was struck by comments last week at NDIA by some of our senior leaders uh, within DOD, I think Dr. Van and Dr. Van at ChemBio Defense, the acting, previously acting assistant secretary for Newt ChemBio, um, and uh, Dr. Han at, at DITRA, um, and others, uh, Jason Roos at CBRND, you know, talked about the need for the U.S. government, uh, in, in this case, mainly DOD, to be working closely with industry and, and pulling in those uh, uh, those capabilities. And what about bacterial infection threats, which have not been as much in the news these days because we're dealing with a viral type of infection where the response from industry is big, expensive, required billions of federal infusion to get these things done quickly. The vaccines that we now benefit from those that choose to. But what about the bacterial side? Because prior to this, we were learning that the germs, the bacterial types of germs were becoming more and more resistant to the well-known remedies that we had in place for many years. Yeah. And, and, and that those really, I mean, Tom, that there's a, a broad uh, set of concerns. I mean, the threats, I mean, I, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but the threats you know, continue to grow and emerge. And across the biospace, it is uh, a a lot of it based on uh, based on growth, population growth, individuals easily you know, moving from country to country, region to region. You know the proximity to to natural habitats. But yes, I mean the bacterial concerns um, are something that U.S. government and, and clearly industry are tracking. I, I would say that when a obviously when a, a when a, a pandemic like COVID emerges, that does crowd out probably a lot of the the work in other areas. It doesn't mean that it is crowded out to the point that there's not a focus on it. But in my mind, there's going to be uh, broader attention to it, especially as uh, you know, the department goes through posture reviews on, on on how we can improve our biodefense capabilities. And you know, the White House, um, the current administration has obviously announced you know, increased focus and attention to all of these issues. And briefly tell us about the advisory role that you have with a company called Heat Biologics, which is trying to develop immune system responses to some of the threats we face. What's going on there? Great company in North Carolina um, has a robust platform that the company believes can respond to a variety of pathogens and biological threats and really in the future be utilized uh, as a response or medical countermeasure for any bio threat. It's quick and efficient. You know, heat is heat biologics has brought together a top tier team of, uh, of leaders in the space. I think COVID encouraged the company to understand the critical need in America for a robust pandemic prevention program you know, that can respond to any pathogen or virus that threatens Americans and, and obviously by extension, our partners and allies. To my knowledge, I think heat is, uh, and I could say to our knowledge, you know, they're the only ones doing anything like this specifically. There's there's tons of threats out there. We could talk about specific ones, but I mean there there's certain ones that you could imagine a capability like this could positively impact. Um, and so I think you know, but the board is made up of former Senator Mark Pryor, former Assistant Secretary for Newt Chem Bio Andy Weber, 
former Congressman Jack Kingston uh, and, and Dr. Gregory Koblenz, uh, who's the director of the biodefense program at George Mason University. So, I mean, really a, a stellar group of, uh, of experts, um, both from a congressional standpoint, but also a former executive branch official. So I'm honored to be a part of this uh, team. And I think it's a it's a novel, you know, one of a kind first impression you know, type of board that I suspect others might might try to emulate or replicate. David Lassiter, former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that's should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. 
and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <clears throat> um, 
During my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. You're finally at that hot new spot, the one your friends keep raving about, sitting across from your date. It's going... Another round? Really well. And that dish you've been dying to try, oh, it's headed your way. You can smell it, hear it sizzling fresh off that skillet as it comes closer, closer, and served. Go ahead, enjoy. After your phone sneaks a bite first. When you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial. As fall fills up with activities and obligations, even a small time saver can feel like a big help. Grammarly is an all-in-one writing tool that makes clear, concise communication easier than ever, so you can finish your work earlier and head off to family dinners, social events, and fall weddings. Grammarly is free to download and works where you do, so every project gets finished quicker. Make sure your writing is free of mistakes with Grammarly's free, comprehensive writing suggestions and get an instant take on how your message comes across with the free tone detector. Let Grammarly Premium's sentence clarity rewrites help you find the perfect words on the first try. You'll be confident writing client emails, deadline-driven reports, and presentations without staying late at the office. Get more time back in your day by writing with Grammarly. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcasts to sign up for a free account. Then get 20% off when you're ready to upgrade to Grammarly Premium. That's Grammarly.com slash podcasts.